Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, I'm talking to Ruby Bogle-Wood, who is a social media educator. We talk about the conversations that she has with young people when she goes into schools and really listens to them uh, about how they use social media and what they think about it. It was really interesting to um, talk to her about how, as adults, we often feel like we have to know all of the answers about about how to use social media and what's good and, and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. That really understanding that it is changing all the time and evolving so quickly so that we need to hold on to our instincts as, as parents and educators, they're usually the right ones then get a little bit of knowledge about how to best use the tools that are available for communication and social media and be really honest with young people about the fact that it's hard and we need to work these things out together parents teachers and pupils are all working towards the same end which is to get young people controlling social and not the other way around and to really see the benefits and, and positive things that can come from young people being more open to the good things that they can get from connecting to the world. Um, as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guest and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello! Today I am joined by Ruby Bogle-Wood, who is a social media educator and founder of Wild Inform Digital. Good morning, Ruby. Hello! Morning, Caroline. How are you? I am well, thank you. Um, perhaps you could tell listeners a bit about yourself and how you ended up doing the work that you do. Yes, so... I am a social media educator and uh, yeah, as, as you just mentioned, I'm the founder of Wild Inform Digital and I set up my business around about three years, just over three years ago now. And I do two things really. I work with businesses, sort of like teaching them how to get more out of social media so they can grow. But as of the last, I'd say 18 months, two years, that my business has evolved to start working a lot more closely with schools, teachers, parents, and importantly, young people, so that I can help them to use social media with greater intention, with greater safety, with greater purpose, so that they can start navigating that digital world that is, is going to be a part of their lives forevermore with, 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 with clarity, as I say, with, with intention and with kindness. Um, yeah, so it's, it's funny how that's evolved. It all started from um, really my own experiences of using social, as I, as I do within the business, and becoming so absorbed into it that I almost forgot who I was. And I forgot almost why I was doing what I was doing. And it was, there was a TEDx, um, a TEDx talk, was being, event was being held locally and and I, I, you know, I put my hands up for that and I thought, you know what, I really want to be able to explore this topic because surely I can't be the only person who feels trapped or hooked by social media. And if I feel this way, 
well then how on earth do young people feel? So I felt as though that that TEDx talk was really that that moment where I could clarify my thoughts, vocalise them and share them with others. And after, you know, whilst I was doing that and after I did that, lots of people then, you know, came up to me or contacted me and said, goodness, I feel that way too. And, I, you know, I, I feel it this way or this is how I experience it. And these are the physiological effects. Um, I then started being contacted by schools because social media, of course, is quite a big topic um, uh, that they have to deal with on a daily basis. And it was from there that it evolved that um, there was this desperate need for conversations to be opened up around the social media narrative with young people because it just wasn't being had. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting as you say there. There's there's something about um, you know uh, in schools when we're educating young people, we're often we're often educating them from a perspective of we we know more about this thing. We're subject specialists. We're passionate about our subjects, and 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 we we know that we can impart kind of wisdom. And as you as you sort of hit upon there, I think you know with social media, um, adults know they probably you know they feel like they spend too much time on it or too influenced by it and all of this kind of thing. So it it, it can be quite difficult, I imagine, to hold those conversations with with young people when you don't feel there's kind of that clear water of, of of having it sorted as an adult we're all we're all learning as as it as it evolves in a way you're you're right we we all are and i think there there is this pressure put upon um teachers and parents to have all of the answers and because social media is evolving rapidly um, it feels as though it's, it's really moved on during lockdown as well. I don't know whether that's just me, uh, but I really do feel as though there's been so many new features have come out. You know, TikTok really exploded mm. in the first part of, uh, of the lockdown, you know, kind of March, April time, and that was demonstrating the statistics that came out. Um, so, yeah, I do feel as though parents and teachers have this unfair pressure put upon them to have all the answers at, at their fingertips. And so... When they are discussing, you know, talking about social media with young people, yeah, there is this, this pressure for them to always know what the correct answer is. And there, there aren't any set correct answers. That, that's the really annoying thing about social media because each everybody's engagement and situation and experience, um, either in front of the screen or receiving content or messages on the other side is, is different and it's out of that I think that there has this disconnect has started to appear between young people and parents carers and teachers really and which is why there is a growing call from the schools that I work with for me to come in and hold the discussions that I do have so when I go in I will talk I call them my fireside chats. They're non-classroom based, really relaxed discussions about social media, but not the um, not the sort of content that they'll receive within form time or class time, which is and rightly so about the do's and the don'ts, the the, the safe real emphasis on the safety aspect. Mm. I wholeheartedly agree with. What I go into in. Sorry, what I go in and do is really 
get under the skin of what social means to them. Why are they on social? What do they get from that? How do they engage with it? Who do they talk to? If something comes up and they need to talk to somebody, where do they turn? Who do they turn to? Um, what are the pressures that they feel about having to be always on? What would you, you know, asking them the questions, well, what would it take for you to step away, disconnect, unhook yourself? We explore things, um, the persuasion technology that runs a lot of these platforms. Now, are you aware that, in fact, there is a small group of people out in Silicon Valley, usually young white men, who are literally, it is their job to keep you hooked. Mm. All those little nudges, all those little notifications, those pings, everything you get, the wordings on, um, you know, for instance, on Facebook. You know, what are you feeling today? Wow, okay, so now I've got to talk about my feelings yeah. online. All of those things have been created um, specifically to keep you engaged. So how do you feel about that? So we explore so much more, and it's it's fascinating what they, you know, that their opinions are fascinating, their perspective. Sometimes it isn't what you think it's going to be. Mm. Um, and that, for me, feels... I often feel as though it's quite a cathartic process for them and for me. And also for the teacher that's usually in the room, but, you know, for the safeguarding purposes as mm. well. Because they'll often say, gosh, yeah, we don't talk about that during, you know, the, the PSHE sessions or whatever it might be. Um, so it's interesting they want to talk about that or that's interesting they raise that particular topic. And often that then feeds into discussions or or focuses on lessons that they then want to take away and start implementing, which I think is brilliant because that's the process. I'm not going in and saying, don't listen to your teachers or aren't your parents horrendous telling you to get off your device. It is about cultivating this conversation where they can try to understand the deeper relationship that they are developing with social media. And the impact that that is having on them, their brain development, their attention, their relationships, their creativity, all of that stuff, really. Um, yeah, which I, yeah, it, it, I feel very um, thankful and honoured that I get to do that. It, it sounds like in some ways you're sort of making, making conscious some of the slightly kind of subconscious behaviours around it and really kind of digging into... Um, you know things like checking checking the phone constantly that are probably just happening on a on a relatively sort of subliminal um, level, and I think it is interesting to uh, to consider. You know, we there's a, there are a lot of schools that are kind of phone phone free, um, and I you know I think particularly kind of uh, things that are media that is targeted at parents, sort of saying that you know social media is something to be kind of feared. Um, rather than 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 used for the you know a lot of the positive things that that connecting and learning can 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 bring and it's it it does it does feel that we sometimes have quite a binary discussion like is it good is it bad and you know what you're digging into is the reality which is you know so 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 much more complicated than that exactly right and social media wants you to be binary I mean let's look at Mm. Twitter it is always them and us. You're wrong. You're right. And but that I, they do that on purpose because it fuels content. 
And if you look at something like a town like Twitter, you will see that negative, uh, kind of peach-filled content uh, spread rapidly. And the algorithm picks up on that, the computer system that, that operates all social media channels, that's what it wants. Why? Because it keeps eyeballs there. <laughs> and the more eyeballs and the engagement they've got, the more that they can charge for ads and also um, they're able to gather our data and sell that on. So, yeah, there is, that's purposeful. So you're right, we, we go, I go in and I have that discussion, uncovering that, the, the unconscious stuff that's happening to them and, and getting them to question that are they happy with that what you know how does that make you feel um does that change your behavior in any way but you also touched on something there with regard to fear from the parental aspect and i'm i, I too am a parent of a tween and even though i do what i do i'm still fearful for when she starts engaging with social media but when I talk with parents, they do commit from that. Well, this can happen. They, you know, grooming or stalking or cyberbullying. No, I just don't want them to have it. And that binary, that extremism to say no, they can't have a phone, they can't go on. It's, it's just, it really is unrealistic. Um, but it is again, it's the work that I do with parents is about helping to open up their knowledge base. Because the fear often comes from not having engaged with the platform themselves, not knowing perhaps where the privacy settings are, not knowing simply, you know, how to upload a photograph, how to um, ensure that location tagging um, is deactivated, and things like that, really. Tools that, if they knew more about, would certainly make them feel a lot more confident about allowing their young child on there because they've got the knowledge. And again, it's about not saying that parents are wrong. They've got one. We've all, you know, parents have got wonderful instincts. Well, for a start, we do we do it every day. We parent every day. So it's about using those that intuition that we have alongside the knowledge of this tech, marrying those two together, and you know, helping your child to navigate social intentionally, purposefully, uh, you know, and, and, and with kindness. And it can be done. And knowing, and again, goes back to the first point you made, which is just don't put that pressure on yourself. Give yourself permission to not always have the answers. That is okay. And it's okay to admit that to your young child as well, because what you're doing is saying, we will find a way. I don't know now, but we will find out how to solve this. I know the people to talk to, or I know where I can search. And I think that's where, if you're able to develop that sort of relationship, Trusted, open-led relationship with your uh, with your teen or your queen, you're really setting yourself up for a a much more fruitful and much more um, positive experience through social together. Yeah, and I think it is in, it is interesting to consider. Uh, I kind of think a lot of the times when you know, I have conversations with, um, you know, people of my generation or older, they just kind of say, oh, gosh, I wouldn't want to be a young person now with all that social media. And the tendency is to just assume that, you know, this would be completely negative. Um, and, you know, we'd have all of our bad haircuts and foolish things <laughs> that we did as children for they captured forever in all time. And maybe we would. 
Um, but I think, it, you know, it's especially thinking about children who, um, for whatever reason, don't feel that they fit in within mm. their immediate peer group or have a particular interest or, or passion or zeal for campaigning or, um, you know, something that they want to, to learn more about. I kind of think, gosh, all of the resources that are then at your disposal if you if you if you join in through through social media as opposed to kind of going, well, you know, who do I who do I actually know in my in, in my in my nearby surrounding area? Um, so yeah, it's it, it, it I I think there is um the good side and the positives are not really um shouted about as much as they they, they should be or could be. What what sort of advice do you do you give schools to sort of help them think about the sort of social media being used for good? Well, at the moment, I'm working with a number of schools across the northwest, and I'm currently going in and talking to year five and year six students, so from age from like um, nine to eleven broadly. And we're having these these such discussions, you know, in class. The schools are willing to have that open discussion uh, when an inspector comes in and, and talks to their young people about about the the, the balanced view of social. And you'll be I'm I'm surprised at the fact that when we talk about say the positive, the upside of social, a lot of young people are saying a lot of them are saying, well, I can just I can discover new hobbies, or I can. Um, for instance, there was a young, uh, there was a young boy that I was talking to earlier this week. Loved crafting, and he loved going onto Pinterest, so he can discover new ways. At the moment, he's doing lots of great stuff with um, with leaves. Obviously, we're in autumn at the moment, um, so whether that's uh, leaf rubbing or whatever it might be, and I find that that that's so empowering. How amazing is that that he has this? He gets joy from this particular hobby. And now has the ability to be able to explore all manner of opportunities for him to be able to create more goodness mm. and to feel empowered and to feel as though he is, um, you know, adding something of worth to, to his life, to others, that are, you know, in his social circles. And so really I'd encourage schools, if they're not already doing so, to have, you know, I don't need to have love to be there. I'd love to speak to more schools. But, you know, if there is, I would encourage schools to have that sort of their own fireside chat if they can. Open up the discussion. See where that leads to. Um, and let, let the children, let the young people lead that discussion. It, it's always so interesting to hear what they come out with. A lot of, um, particularly our final year sixes that I talk to, have a lot more of a mature attitude towards social than perhaps say their peers in year five. I don't know whether that's because say they've had their mobile phones a little bit longer. I don't know whether they've been exposed to social just that bit more. But you know, I get conversations. I have comments whereby they'll say, "You know, I'm fine not going on X, you know certain social media accounts. I'm fine with that. I don't feel as though I'm missing out." Whether or not that changes as they get older is a, is a different matter. I know things become a little bit more intense at, at secondary school. Um, but that's, that to me is encouraging. And if we can support that sort of thinking, that 
you know, my mantra is you, know, you control social, not the other way around. And so if we can instill that in young people and support that and nurture it from an earlier age, I am I am all up for that. And I would encourage school leaders to do the same. Yeah, and I think we I mean we've we've already said, you know, safeguarding is absolutely paramount in this in this conversation and you know not not advocating anyone do anything that that would you know um contravene or or, or cause a problem there but it, it it does strike me that you know some some schools do share a lot more of their their people's work or um you know their their that people's in, enjoying themselves and you know one of the the bright spots of, of my social media timeline doing the work that I do has been you know whether it's children zooming to sing a song together or or all this kind of thing and then um, it, it, it is a shame that for some people you know that, that there, there was this sort of feeling and pressure of you know we can't actually share much of what we do in school because it you know because of safeguarding and then that mm-hmm. just that conversation just gets gets shut down um so it's that there, there, there is something about um yes um terrible things can happen and there there are bad people out there but um meeting it with kind of positivity and and hope sending that message to young people that you know um collaboration connection and and goodness and kindness can come out mm-hmm. of social media rather than saying oh it's just lurking full of terrible people and we you know we we, we can't share show anything good out there or happy mm-hmm. or joyful um yeah it's some that, that balance view you're right but that's that's the world that mm-hmm. we live in anyway isn't it there, there are there are good people or bad people or you know i don't want to be binary but you know there is a we, there is yeah. a whole array of different types of people based on, on different on, you know different types of data so again it is that discussion because that social really is the digital version of of everyday life and there has to be that balance view and i think the key thing for me not just that not just the positivity and all those wonderful things you just mentioned but it's also ensuring that the young people know they have somebody to come back to, some a trusted person that they can rely on, they can come and talk to, they can share any uh, upsetting or negative experience that they have encountered. There was a particular school that I was in, and again, it was with a group of young, uh, year fives, we were talking about, well, what would you do if, um, you know, something negative happened? Who would you talk to? Would you talk to your parents? And the vast majority of that class, and this was really, I felt so sad, the vast majority of that class, they wouldn't talk to their parents. They felt as though they couldn't talk to them. Mm. And for me, I think, well, who would, well, who would you talk to then? Okay, some of them said they'd come and talk to their teacher fantastic but others said well i just somebody that i know online mm. and they know with inverted commas mm. yeah. do not know this person in real life and for me that is so that is isn't that scary mm. and so sad which is there was a recent connected to that there was a recent uh, survey taken by and um, digital parenting was connected to both them and just over, I think, 54% of parents admitted it within the survey. They didn't know 
what their child was doing on social media. And a lot of that came from the fact, emerged from their fear. Fear of what was going on on social and also their lack of knowledge. If we do not take the time or the impetus to educate ourselves on you know, social media channels that our children are using, we are we we are turning them away from us when they need us. We are turning them into the arms of strangers. We no, no none of us want that as parents. None of us want that. So I would I would absolutely plead and encourage you know listeners who are parents to, to just get involved with that. Open up an account, have a play around with it. There is so much. There is so much stuff out there online that you can um, you know, sit through. It, a sixty minutes webinar on something on a particular channel, and know so much more. And you are then so you're in a much better position to start having that open, ongoing dialogue with your young child, because at some point they will need to come and talk to you. Whether that's because they've experienced something firsthand or whether they've heard something or seen something, they will need, they will have a need to come and talk to you. And you, you are going to want to be that person they turn to mm. to help guide them. Yeah, I think that's that's really that's really interesting um, finding that you shared there. And I think, um, you know, something that, that I was thinking about, you know, from a kind of um, school school point of view is that, quite a lot of this activity potentially happens on you know people's own device um mm -hmm. out of school hours um and um and as you as you say um it is not it is not clear that children are necessarily going to the right kind of um person um to to, to get support um do you have any thoughts about how how kind of parents and schools can can work together so that the same kind of uh, messages and, and support are getting to young people Gosh, that's a really tough one, isn't it? Because there's so much, I mean, look at us now in lockdown. Teachers have got so much more pressure on them. Parents are juggling all the time. I know. Just, it's never going to be a one-hit answer, mm. right? You can't just host an assembly or a Zoom call between the school and the, and the parents and go, Here, here's your, here's your uh, you know, 10-step guide. That's it. Anything that comes up is going to be solvable by... You can resolve it using one of these 10 tactics. It's that ongoing conversation, really, and that willingness for parents to approach the school, to talk with them, for the school to then take those considerations seriously, to then help drive those topics of, of conversation back into the classroom with young people, but done so on a basis where it's, again, it's, it's, this open dialogue rather than a look, we're coming at it from a we know everything and therefore don't do this and don't do that. And more of a, you know, this open back and flow discussion between all three parties. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, the work that I'm doing at the minute with primary school uh, children, the end. One of the end uh, sort of tasks I've got for them is to be able to create um, 
create like a, a, a one pager that they can then share with their parents about how to use social. Mm. Um, so again, it becomes this not again not that all not that children have all the answers. Nobody does, but it is that collaboration between adult teacher and and young person that's going to get us through this in, in a more empowered way. But again, how can pupils inform the discussions that teachers and adults, you know, parents and carers are having? I often feel as though sometimes the children's experiences, their opinions are somewhat, um, you know, that their voice is turned down sometimes. Mm. Turn it up, get them involved, help them lead the topic of discussion. Often we'll come at it and go, well, no, we, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z only. And they've, they've heard that so many times. They get bored of it. They switch off. And like you said earlier, social is moving so quickly that their experiences, their opinions are changing as well. Quickly. Mm. So use that. Ask them to bring that into the school, to bring that into the home and have that discussion. But they've got to feel as though their voice is worth, worthy of being heard. And that's the thing, isn't it? So I'd encourage the schools and the parents to bolt, you know, bring into the fold young people and help and let them give them permission to, to direct the conversation. I don't know whether that answers it. No, no, no. I think I think you're right. It's very much about those those three people working together and and listening to the voice of the the child. And I'm interested. Obviously, you've been been in schools quite a lot recently. Um, are, are children talking about social media differently, having had you know an enforced period of, of quite a lot of screen time, and and also it being one of the main ways to interact with their friends when you know when at times they haven't been able to see them face to face this year. Yeah, I mean their their exposure to digital to tech, yeah, has increased enormously. I think they're getting a lot from it in terms of. Like you say, the connection that they are currently lacking in the classroom, but that in itself has given a rise to a lot more. Um, I'm getting a lot of senior leaders just before I go into a session telling me about situations that have happened only a few days ago, mm. um, conversations that have happened on chats where there's been uh, aggressive language used between young people that they didn't they'd never in a million years think would happen to uh, or, you know between so yeah that's definitely their heightened exposure i think has had a direct effect on the level of um the, the, the intensity of conversation chats that are going on and the Kind of a lot of unkind conversations are emerging, but again, that comes back to that we weren't ready for this. Mm. We weren't ready for this, were we? And they are so they are still so young. They are, you know, that their their brains are still developing. We know this. Um, their ability to converse, their ability to engage, again, is still evolving. And to have this device that is on social media channels that is. Um, programmed to want and demand quick reactions and binary reactions and they know that you know what it's you know we've all been it's basically to some degree you sit behind a screen you know, 
keyboard warrior comes to mind that phrase and just hammer away an opinion and you don't think about the fact that there is another human being on the other side with feelings who is reading that message and before you know it this whole situation has, has, has kind of escalated out of control and then it's We've got fallout, so you know, it's crying, there's tension, there's also school gets involved and parents, and it's that's a horrid situation to be in. But it's all happened upon us so quickly, which is why I would urge there to be even more discussions going on around um, conversations online, etiquette, kindness, humanness, all of that stuff, that good stuff that. Uh, that binds us together as human beings, that that is, that is discussed even more so with our young people, so that they can pick up a device and they know that it's, it is an extension of, their, of the real world, it is an extension of them being human to others and to be kind and considerate and listen, rather than, again, allowing that tech to dictate to them the speed, the veracity, at which they converse with their peers. Yeah, it's very much how do you see it as a as a tool and a vehicle for your ideas or activities rather than a separate space where yeah. you just behave, you're a different character. Exactly, exactly. And they know, I mean, they know this. I have conversations with them all the time and they understand that, but it's a different thing. Again, that's why the, my conversations with, with schools is ongoing. It can't just be a one hit. Right, right, we've ticked that box. It's done. Not, not at all. Again, it's always an uh, it's evolving conversation. It, it's these these um, these fireside chats you have with young people do sound absolutely um, fascinating. I'm sure. Sure. I mean, uh, anything that I've ever done involving kind of pupil voice, um, you know, you just get things that completely change the way you think about something insights that just kind of cut through <laughs> um things that you've been scratching around um forever i just wonder if there are any particular kind of memorable uh comments you might have, have had from young people that you'd like to share with listeners uh, i think the one thing that really sticks in my mind and conversation i have with the group of year eights and <laughs> we we dubbed it the unconscious um uh, kind of parental hypocrisy. So it's the you know where I'm going with this. It's where as a parent you say, "Goodness, you've been on that phone for so long. Just can you put it down? Come downstairs, please. Sit down with us. You know, talk with us." Reluctantly, you know, it kind of does that and sit down. And what's the first thing that they see? They see us and our devices. <laughs> to ask them, you know, all things being warned to them, go. Hold on a second. You've just had a go at me for being attached to my phone, but you're on yours. How does that? How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> Until you know it, you've got parents saying, "Yeah, you know what? Hands up. I've done it myself." <laughs> you go. You end up going, "Yeah, but I've had a really long day at work, and this is the only, this is my downtime. You know, you don't get it. Just let me be, kind of thing." And the the sentiment when that came out with this group of year eight. It, it felt so heavy. You should have seen their, their faces. They felt despondent. It was like, well, why do I bother? Why? Why would I? I? The other thing that connected to that was really that 
when both they and their parents put their phones down, do you know what they said they love doing? Which is sitting and being with their parents. They love the fact that they could either just sit with them and watch a programme that they both love together, or that they could just talk. Not about anything heavy in particular, it was just talking about just life, just nonsense mm-hmm. stuff, as you would chat with, you know, a friend. Um, and they said they, they really valued those moments. And that I found surprising in, in a wonderful way. Um, because we often have this opinion, don't we, of things. They are head down in a device on a gaming channel or what have you. You cannot slide them away. Um, to me, that was I love that because they do want time away. They've said, they've actually said to me, they, would, they love the idea of not being on their device. Imagine if we could help create those sorts of spaces with our teens and tweens. How powerful those moments would be if we could just carve those out intentionally every day. Five minutes. The difference that that would make. Because like I said before, there will come a day when they will need to talk to you about something they have seen or experienced and heard and you you want them. You want them to come and talk to you, not some random stranger online. Indeed, and you know, I think we've 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 all by necessity had to spend more time than we would have we would have wished on on screens and devices. And those of us who are still working from home and you know children self isolating, like there doesn't seem to be an end in sight for the moment. But um, yes, hope hope for a a future where people can can um, escape um, from the the addictive technology and 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 the screens and and connect because as you say those forming those relationships is is what is ultimately going to keep us all thinking about our use of social and and keep children safe um very very powerful thoughts there and anything else you'd like to share by way um, of advice or observations um in closing I would, two things really, to, to schools I would um, encourage more of these, you know, fireside chats um, to, to happen, those open, you know, informal discussions around that subject, keep that going, the continuous discussion, and to, to parents really, it's well worth, I think, and, and again, I've heard this from young people, setting intentions together around digital usage as a family whatever that family unit looks like whatever your work life situation setting some simple uh you know boundaries time boundaries space boundaries digitality all of that stuff really as a family and trying your best to adhere to those together and, and allowing your young people, your children, to, to help set those as well rather than dictating what they should be. And do you know what? Final thought is no one ever gets everything right when it comes to social because it is moving so quickly. So please give yourself permission to not always have the answers, but know that your intuition as a leader, as a parent, as an educator, 
you will you will find the right answer between that and you know talking to others you will get there and do you do you have any um uh sources that people can go to if they want to learn more for example about the tools within particular social medias about sort of how to set timers and turn off notifications and this kind of stuff is there a good good source of information for that one of the best places to start with actually is the NSPCC uh, website. They've got lots of wonderful material on there actually. Um, lots of great resources. Digital parenting would be another one again, um, connected with Vodafone. Um, and obviously, if there are any further discussions, either both schools or parents want to, to delve into deeper, my door is always open. I'd love to, to, to converse with people. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much, Ruby, for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.